Welcome to episode 182 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For the podcast this week, we'll be discussing digital influence in the wake of this election cycle. So from WikiLeaks to Hillary's email server, fake news on Facebook to digital online tribes of like thinkers, in this election, cyber communication has matured into a mammoth force. And I think that's putting it, uh, putting it lightly. Um, so Facebook has been accused of helping to spread information uh, or spread misinformation and fake news stories uh, that may have influenced how Americans voted. And the social network is uh, internally having discussions about, you know, what their responsibility is to vet news items that come across uh, uh, their site. Uh, WikiLeaks, of course, uh, released thousands of hacked internal DNC emails uh, right before the Democratic National Convention. And those emails showed that uh, officials in the DNC were actively, you know, undermining Bernie Sanders' campaign in, uh, in favor of Hillary Clinton's campaign. And then later on, WikiLeaks also published hacked emails uh, purportedly from John Podesta, who is the Clinton uh, campaign uh, chairperson. And of course, these emails included transcripts of Clinton's controversial speeches before Wall Street firms a la Goldman Sachs. And of course, the timing on all of that, uh, those transcripts were, of course, released uh, just a month before Election Day. Um, so, so we can see here that information uh, warfare or uh, uh, cyber war hacking, um, you know, this, this um, ebb and flow of information and misinformation is all making, a, you know, a very hazy picture of our, our online digital lives. And as Americans are consuming more and more media online, you know, this is, this is a serious concern, I think, because it, it says that uh, not only are we not able to discern necessarily what's uh, what's real and what isn't, um, there's sort of parties actively uh, creating propaganda or or at least trying to push uh, our our thoughts in, in in one way or the other, and and we we've spoken about this in the past, but I'm completely startled by the fact that. Um, uh, sort of the, the the cyberpunk novels of William Gibson seem to to um, get this down to a T, mm -hmm. uh, you know, decades before any of this became real. But but I think this election is notable in so far as the the influence of online information has never been stronger, yeah. uh, and you know, for for better or for worse, it's uh, the information. Uh, uh, online has definitely come of age. Dirk, your thoughts on on that mess? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly true. Um, what what the examples you you cited all have in common is that they impacted or are said to have impacted the election. But the examples themselves are pretty far flung. So maybe let's take them sort of one at a time. Is there one you'd like to start with? Sure. Let's uh, let's start with WikiLeaks just because it's it's. Um, 
uh, sort of fascinating what's possible uh, when you start seeing the uh, sort of the, the the dirty underwear of of our electronic communication. And and I think the question, you know, in part is, uh, you know, are we really all that interested in total transparency or does that just become another political tool uh, in, in, in the toolbox? Yeah, no, we're not interested in total transparency because we have created these myths and legends around reality that simply aren't true. I mean, the fact is the, the human fight for power at scale is ugly. It's ugly. If you are trying to be the leader of a nation of hundreds of millions of people, that is not going to be a fair fight. It wasn't in 1790s when, when the first U.S. presidents were being elected, and it isn't today at the much larger scale. Um, the people in power want to keep power. The people going for the power will do whatever they can to get the power. And, you know, from, from a more primitive viewpoint, I mean, I, I would take the position of saying they should, right? I mean, the stakes are high. If, if you're the president of the United States, you, know, you, can, you can do a lot, um, a lot to the world, a lot to your personal and family's financial position, a lot to forwarding the, the beliefs that you have. So, um, look, I mean, we can't, uh, <laughs> I don't know that we can culturally um, approve dirty dealings and fighting and, and so forth, but those things are going to happen. I mean, unless the transparency is so bright that there's no dark corners in which we can plot and scheme and do underhanded things. So I, I take for granted that the, the democratic national apparatus is trying to knock the legs out of Bernie Sanders, the outside upstart who's saying change the system, and, and help Hillary Clinton, you know, the ultimate insider. Uh, to, to, you know, carry on with uh, the propaganda messages from the campaign. Um, and don't kid yourself. I mean, the Republicans are doing the exact same thing, the exact same thing. Different people, different agendas, you know, different power sources, but everybody's doing it. And so uh, it's, it's sort of ridiculous when either party, from my perspective, is exposed and called out on it that, you know, we, we have this sort of Victorian uh, moral shock uh, about what's going on. Of course it's going on. I mean, if, if you think Bernie Sanders is getting a fair shake, you don't understand how the world works, um, point blank. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going, going down a little bit different direction with the WikiLeaks stuff, people, uh, liberals, were aghast that the Russian government would influence U.S. elections. Oh, my God, the Trump is in cahoots with the Russians. You know, shock of show. So, first of all, do I think Trump is in cahoots with the Russians? I don't. I mean, is it possible? I guess. But I don't think so. I mean, the, what, what is possible is that major nations influence the internal workings of other major nations all the time. The U.S. has influenced, and it's a known fact, that the U.S. has influenced elections in a variety of nations, in the Americas, in other places in the world, many times in the history of this nation. So, again, you know, there's this shock, the Russian nation is influencing our elections. Of course, I mean, there's, there's this whole espionage layer to how major nation states interact with each other, and the Russians are going to be taking advantage of those tools as we do. Um, but, you know, when, in this case, you know, the Democratic Party, the, the supporters of, of Hillary Clinton, however we want to bucket them, are the victims of it, 
again, the, the Victorian moral outrage goes up. But come on, people. I mean, this is the world. This is power at scale. It's just the way it is. Yeah, I, I you know, I'm, I wasn't too particularly shocked by any of the the WikiLeaks stuff. I, I think from a from the standpoint of sort of the, the maturation of of sort of cyber espionage coming of age, I think there could not have been a bigger stage for for these events to unfold. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so I mean I mean perhaps the uh, the real lesson, a uh, real lesson of of the uh, 2016 elections is not so much that yes, we have a Game of Thrones like uh, uh, sort of uh, struggle going on for for power in the United States, uh, but rather that there are now a you know there's there's another layer. Uh, this this digital life has 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 also become incorporated. Uh, into that fabric in a way that it is um, completely integrated into our lives now. So, so we all carry around our our mobile phones and spend inordinate amounts of time staring at them, you know. And and so, uh, you know, they are as much as they are for entertainment and for helping us in our daily lives. They're also great propaganda delivery mechanisms if if uh, if you're willing to you know sort of let that happen. So the maturation of 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 cyber as a uh, uh, influential tool is uh, you know w- without question now, and and you can only suppose uh, what what's going to happen in two years at the midterms. Um, and, and, you know, what's going to happen, you know, in the next four years, I, I will say that, um, uh, WikiLeaks had an ask me anything on, on Reddit. And, and one of the things they, they said in defense of these very well-timed leaks, uh, against the, uh, uh, sort of the Clinton campaign was that, that they didn't have similar information to release on Trump or else they would have done that. So <laughs> I think that's, you know, kind of an interesting statement to make. Uh, and, you know, makes me wonder what what's going to be turning up now uh, next on WikiLeaks um, and, and you know, how that story will unfold. Let's uh, let's let's move on to to Facebook, which is which is our our apparent window to the world, at least for, uh, you know, an inordinate amount of regular Facebook users. So, you know, there's there's this idea that. The, be- the very best news organizations can provide editorial uh, advice and filtering that, that helps uh, sort of deliver factual, informed news to you, whether it's, you know, via the newspaper or the radio or the television. Um, and, and so you trust, you, you have a certain level of trust for the news organizations that, that you choose to follow, whether that be you know, uh, New York Times or Fox News, right? Uh, you know, depending on your 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 flavor, you have that that trust. Now, when when news is being delivered via uh, a social network like Facebook, uh, you don't have that editorial layer, or uh, you know, su- supposedly you don't have that editorial layer. So when you see trending news topics in Facebook, uh, you're your your level of trust is, I guess, in Facebook's system and their algorithms and, and nothing else. I'm not sure. 
but but ultimately, you know, Facebook sort of stands accused of allowing all sorts of fake fake news and and hoaxes to per- pervade its its news feed, which you know undermines that that trust and and ultimately makes it uh, you know questionable as to whether or not you should be consuming any news on that site. And they're they're so highly influential. Facebook is that you know it's it. It is going to be a huge problem for them going forward if you can't trust what you're seeing on their site. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is not a Facebook issue. It's an Internet issue, right? I mean, so we do have the the New York Times or any number of um, editorially curated organizations that have a... I don't even want to say a higher level of credibility because there's other issues, but some semblance of, of editorial guidance and um, the ability to to project, we as consumers, to project a level of trust that approximates what things used to be like in, in the print days, in, in, the old, in the old media days. Now, they're still making errors all over the place, making retractions, yada, 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 but there's something, like that's, that's something more. The internet um, writ large, the, the, the technologies, whether it be social networking technology or, or wiki technology or uh, whatever the different online communication technologies are, have done a very poor job at, at editing, um, at having that layer of, of um, authentication. Um, you know, Wikipedia is a good example of it. Wikipedia um, is actually quite well edited as these things go, but as a relatively heavy um, Wikipedia user, I've found a number of errors, and they are generally of the trickster variety, right? Um, you know, a, a, a little bit of a tangent, but just to frame just how how sort of insidious this is. Um, you know, my father was a big fan of boxing. And so one of the things he and I would do together was watch some boxing. I was a big fan of the boxer Lennox Lewis, British British guy. And during Lennox's career, there was a fellow he fought named Henry Akinwande, who for a brief time was the number one contender, the next big thing. And then Lewis and others beat him, and that, that ended. But so for whatever reason, I'm jumping around doing one of my Wikipedia jumps where I'm reading about lots of different things. I end up on Henry Akinwande's page, and in his little biography, there's um, a few sentences talking about this key fight he had in some boxer I'd never heard of, and it just stunk a little the way it was written in. And so I researched. There was no boxer of the name that, that the, the Wikipedia page claimed Akinwande fought, and as I researched more, it was some trickster who had just put himself into the narrative of Henry Akinwande that he had had this big key fight, right, in the career of this boxer. Um, and so I edited it out. But, you know, um, it was up there for a long time before I saw it, I identified it, I edited it. And that kind of stuff is all over Wikipedia. And Wikipedia has a tremendous... Um, you know, um, to the point of almost fascist um, editorial process to like keep things keep things clean and keep things out. Um, so that's sort of like the, at the most extreme case of how editing is is being handled in sort of the open, transparent web. Companies like Facebook and those sort of technologies have absolutely none of that. And so, if you have a trickster who's on Facebook who's who's doing things, there's not people catching it. And additionally, and I think crucially, we have to think about use cases and what people are doing on the web. When people go onto Wikipedia, for the most part, people are going there to learn. It's not a place where you're rewarded for being a trickster. Like, this guy probably thought it was really funny, but then that thing about fighting Akinwande, but it was meaningless in in the big picture of things. Um, However, on Facebook, if you can put a fake story out there that um, forwards a political agenda that you have, and it takes off, 
not only are you having real impact on um, pervading your political agenda into society, but you're also getting social reinforcement feedback as you're getting liked and upvoted and you're becoming more important in the culture. Um, and that's, that's not great. And it's rewarded by Facebook and by the very behaviors. You don't go on Facebook to learn. I don't think it's a social kind of learning-ish, I guess. Um, you're going on there to connect, to amplify, to um, blow off steam, to do human emotional um, you know, things that often can be negative or not well thought. And, and the design of Facebook allows those things to take off and be treated as truth and, and build on a lot of um, social dynamics, even getting into, um, you know, even getting into sort of crowd, you know, the, the sort of things that lead to riots and that kind of, um, that kind of crowd behavior. So uh, to me, it's not a Facebook issue. It is a Facebook issue insofar it's an issue for everyone on the Internet who hasn't solved it well which is pretty much everyone. Um, but I don't think it's, it's native to Facebook. It's just the, the, the size of Facebook and the, the influence of Facebook allows it to have more of an impact. Um, you know, how much those things impacted our election, I'm not qualified to answer. But, uh, you know, I mean, maybe we should be upset with Facebook about it, but to treat it like this is some problem that is Facebook has created. It's just kind of Facebook participating in this this um, zeitgeist of openness, transparency, freedom of information, not you know oppressing and withholding things that has led to that, and that's an internet problem. Yeah, I think there's going to be uh, over time the the development of uh, call it, call it a, a set of 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 trust tools or or uh, curation and editorial. Uh, tools that that will need to sit over top of of at least some some of the internet insofar as uh, you know it's it's fairly obvious that that it's it's very difficult to filter so many information sources uh, just by sort of uh, you know you read something you research it you try to verify it um, you, you know people don't have enough time in their day to to deal with those sorts of things so so I do think there is a uh, a challenge there, a well-identified opportunity to, to provide that, um, we'll call it editorial guidance that, that might have been easier to do in, you know, in the days of print. Uh, but that's, that's definitely something that, that uh, cyber will need to contend with um, you know, moving forward. And it's all about context, right? I mean, politics, you know, there's, there's this ideal that Mr. Smith goes to Washington of voting for the best person of, you know, I mean, it's all bullshit. I mean, at the end of the day, in our current system, the way we're structured now, the Democrats going to get 40 something percent, the Republicans going to get 40 something percent. It doesn't matter if the Republican or the Democrat, I, I don't think, although I, I think the criteria are probably different. So let's use the concrete example we have with Donald Trump. The Republican goes out there, says a lot of ridiculous things, says a lot of things like if you look at the um, one of the big voting blocks within the Republican Party, the conservative right, talking about these very immoral things that those people should be horrified by, but they're going in the Republican camp for other reasons, regardless of the specifics of that candidate. So uh, it, politics, there's this, this sheen of like truth, idealism. I know I sound really cynical today, but I think these things are true. It's all shit, right? It's all crap. Um, people are just voting for their thing. They're, they're on whatever that trigger is, the gun side, the abortion side, whatever it is, the candidate can go out there and, and be a total zero 
And they're going to put their vote in that camp. And on the Democratic side, we could, I think, also come up with very unflattering examples of um, of a candidate. And maybe we could even do it with, with Hillary Clinton if we stepped back and thought about it and tried. But who really, in some sort of objective, humanistic way, isn't a great person, isn't a great candidate, saying things that shouldn't be appealing to that base. But at the end of the day, they're going to tick the box, whether um, whether it be for, for one reason or another. So that's also part of it, is on Facebook, it's not about truth. It's not about, oh, I'm trying to learn something. I'm trying to, it's about, no, I have this agenda. I'm slashing away at it. And it's people with agendas pushing it up. And other people who share the agenda, they don't care if it's true or not. There's, ah, yeah, you know, and then... And then it takes off. So a lot of this, it comes back to human nature and it comes back to really understanding. Um, I think we just need to be more honest um, about what we are as, uh, as an animal, as a species, and, um, and operate in more, more honest ways. Because I think a lot of this is just, it's just dishonesty. It's truth. Nobody cares about truth. People just want it their way. They're just, we're big, spoiled, tantruming children at the end of the day. And we try and act like we're these wise, smart um, considerate people, but we're not. I mean, we're checking our box every damn time, no matter what. And, and this election just, just proves it. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at dneemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 182 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.